Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. This is episode 145 of the LED Project Podcast brought to you by myself and Wilkie Law. We are Lighthouse Educator Development and we're super thrilled about this episode to have Mike and Nita Creekmore um, who are a teacher leader and a counselor in Atlanta uh, to, to tell their story about what it's like to be a couple in education together and their journey of how they both got to the positions where they're at now. It's, it's really cool. It was really awesome. And it was fun to, to get to listen to the dynamic of a couple talk at the same time, the way they shared and let the other speak and do those things. They were, it was really, really a joy to have them on. So, um, you can find them on Instagram. Uh, Nita is love teach bless on Instagram and Mike is the bearded school counselor on Instagram. But yeah, just another great time. We really, really were thrilled and we hope that their story, you know, inspires you, gives you some some things that you can take and move into your classroom um, and, you know, grow as an educator. So if you want to find us, you can find us on Instagram as at value adds value and it, at its.will with one L dot law dot III. You can also find us uh, on Twitter as those two things, and you can find us on Facebook and YouTube as Lighthouse Educator Development. So if you're enjoying the podcast, you're digging it, we would love it if you would subscribe, leave us a review, uh, and a rating. So without further ado, episode 145. Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast brought to you by Lighthouse Educator Development. My name is Kyle Krieger. This is episode 145. I've got Wilkie Law the Third on the podcast today. Will, how are you? What's going on, man? I'm doing groovy, 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 man. Awesome. Excited. Awesome. We were just, uh, you know, there's apparently a winter blast coming to uh, to Texas, but I had to show you that it was, it's it's zero degrees currently in Wisconsin. Um, but Crazy. we're really, really excited. Uh, I'm I'm excited for this. This is the first uh, couple we've had on the podcast today. To, uh, together, we have Mike and Nita Creekmore. How are you guys? We're awesome. Doing great. Yeah, we really, um, we really appreciate you taking some time, and we're looking forward to it. As I'm uh, getting closer to uh, to getting engaged and, and getting married, it'll be interesting to hear your story of how you kind of <laughs> got together, and and as a as a, a pair of educators, how you how you. Um, deal with that situation of being in the same profession. So, Will, do you want to give them a little bit of background on the podcast and kind of why we do what we do? Yeah, well, you know, again, thank you for being on here. And uh, this podcast, the podcast really kind of was birthed out of Kyle and I working together and having conversations at school about different ways we can kind of perfect our craft and move into a direction of being becoming better educators. And uh, he had the idea. He said, hey, man, why don't we just start having a conversation and recording it? And then it morphed into, hey, let's let's just try to find people to interview, to bring into, to make a part of this conversation. So our podcast really is, is an extension of now, what, a five-year conversation we've been having about education and, and some of the best practices that we can use to better serve our kids. So we thank you for being a part of the legacy that we're trying to build in education and uh, so we can move forward and better ed other educators. Cool, we're happy to be a part. <clears throat> awesome. Yes, thank awesome. you for extending that invitation. We really appreciate it. 
Yeah, yeah. So we can make this, that's enough about us. So let's kind of talk about y'all. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about your backstories? Oh. Sure, go ahead. I can tell you in a nutshell, undergrad, um, she missed her blessing. Oh! I came along freshman year. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll let her tell it first. I'll let her tell it. First. Well, we, we both went to the same college in University of South Carolina, Gamecock. Whoop, whoop. And, okay. um, you know, we met each other our, our freshman year, and Michael was such a gentleman. And after class, he walked me to my dorm, and I nicely told him, you know, I don't let just people up, men up in my dorm room. So we can sit in the lobby and we can chat. So <laughs> we chatted in the lobby and, you know, we had a good conversation, probably about an hour or so. And then, you know, he left and he gave me a kiss on the cheek. And I didn't see him for 15 years after that. We saw each other on campus, but we didn't date in college. Um, we were friends. She pledged um, her sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha. And then he pledged um, his Kappa Alpha Psi, but we never, you know, connected in that way in college. <clears throat> I went my way, he went his way. Um, I got married, he got married, and this is actually both of our second marriages. So Second and last. Last. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, we've been married for five years. Um, we have four children, and so um, we have a blended family, and so it's um, it's been it's been cool. So 15 years later, it's kind of crazy. We um, find our way back to each other, and we've been rocking and rolling since. Yeah, it's just the classic story of you know boy meets girl. Um, it doesn't work out. Well, we never even had a chance for it to work out, honest with you. But um. You know, she went her way, I went my way, and it was apparently meant to be because we found each other years later, so. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, because listening to you guys' story, I'm sitting here, and, and I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear because that's almost identical to my wife and I. Oh, um, wow. We've been married for six years. We met, um, and a funny story is we, we went to high, I went to high school in the same neighborhood she lived in, but because her mom was an educator, she was, she taught, she went to school near her mom, so we never went to school together. Met in college and became best friends, and 20 years later, she became a wife. So, wow. you know, it is, I mean, it's, we, we're sharing, a, and she's an educator also. So we share very similar similarities. I love that. That just made me just get real excited. So, yeah. so let's, let's talk real quick about why did you become educators, each one of you? Well, my story is very cliche. Um, <laughs> My mom, <laughs> my mom was an educator, um, so I came from a family of educators on my dad's side. My aunts were educators, and I've, I've always known I wanted to be a teacher, and it's so funny because me and Mike always talk, and I'm like, yeah, I was, I was so naive about how much I'm going to make, you know, because my father, like, he didn't want me to be an educator. Um, God bless his soul. He just, he was like, you know, Nita, why are you, you have all A's in college, like, you're wasting your degree, like, you're not going to make any money, and you're always going to struggle, and I was like, Dad, I always want to do what I want to do, and, you know, um, and be happy to do what I do every day, and then to, like, have a huge bank account, and hate going to work every day, you know, so it's always been my passion um, to be an educator. Now, I will say I was naive about how much I would make, you know, I was not making some more money doing my, my passion, but, you know, to be honest with you, I love 
what I do. So mine is very, I guess, cliche. His his road is a little bit different. Yes, my road is different in the sense that I knew I always wanted to be a, a counselor um, because I was very, um, I guess you could say I was very inquisitive and very, I would ask a lot of questions. So I kind of never passed the, you know, the five, six-year-old question stage where you're asking why, why, why. Um, so that kind of drove me to becoming a therapist. But in graduate school, I went to Clark Atlanta University. And there comes a point in time when you're pursuing your graduate degree in counseling, where there are two, two separate tracks. There's the, which used to be called the counseling psychology, now known as the community counseling track. And then there's also the school counseling track. So it was kind of like the fork in the road for me. And because I realized that the year of internship, I could not do that year of internship while school was out for the summer. So I felt like I took, you know, the, the, the shorter road by taking the community counseling and it took me less time to get my degree. So I actually went into community counseling first. Um, so I've worked at various stages, you know, Department of Family and Children's Services, um, Department of Juvenile Justice, um, psychiatric residential treatment facilities. So I've done all of that. Um, but so I was working there and I always knew I wanted to get back to working um, in school counseling. Um, so I actually took that time and there was a law that was passed that allowed licensed professional counselors to pursue their um, certification and become school counselors. So I took the, the GACE portion of it, um, fortunately, um, and thankfully I passed. So that's what led me down my track of being a school counselor. And this is year one for me. As oh, a school wow. counselor. Nice, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's awesome. So growing up, I, I heard you say, Nita, that your, your mom was an educator <clears throat> and that kind of prompted you. But growing up, did you have a favorite teacher in K-12? And if you did, who was it and why? I did. Um, her name was Miss Polidor. She's my fifth grade teacher. Um, in school, I struggled with reading. Um, and I have two older sisters and both my sisters um, had Miss Polidor as their teacher, but she was one of the, like, they separated the classes out, and she was one of the higher gifted teachers that had the kids that were labeled as gifted in her classroom, so um, I remember distinctly my mom going to her school and wanting Miss Polidor as my fifth grade teacher, um, and initially it was an issue, I remember that. And I also remember them having, Miss Polidor, my mom having a conversation. You know, my mom's like, you know, she struggled in reading and I know that, but I really want to be uh, a fifth grade teacher. And I remember distinctly Miss Polidor saying, don't worry about your baby, I got her, I'm good. She's good, she's good in my classroom, I got her. And she was the best teacher I've ever had. And she really turned the corner for me. Um, in fifth grade because I just knew she cared. And, you know, Mike's always asked me, you know, how did you know she cared? Like, what did she do? And I was like, I mean, I don't even know. I think that, are you hearing that conversation between her and my mom and her saying, I got her, like, she's good. That helped initially. And then just little things that she would do, like she would pat us up, pat our, you know, pat our backs as we were working, even if we were, I was struggling through the work, she, you know, she pull me to the side and work with me and she just went the extra mile so like 
and I knew she cared. And so that really turned the corner for me. And she's, I mean, I'm her friend on Facebook. And I remember going to her and kind of saying, you know, hey, you know, I, you know, do you remember me? I'm this, you know, she was like trying to remember because she's like, she must be at least almost 80 now. And I, um, and she tried to distinctly remember me. And I get, told her about that conversation and she remembered me up that after having, I'm sure hundreds and hundreds of kids. So she's, mm -hmm. yeah, she was my favorite teacher. Awesome. So Mike, same question. Um, actually, K through 12, no, I didn't really, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up abroad. My father was in the military um, for 20 years in the Air Force, so I grew up abroad, like, between countries and states. Um, but for me, it was in graduate school. Um, it was actually a professor that I really remember that was more like a favorite teacher and actually was, and became my, was my mentor for a short time as well. And it was because of the, all the inside information I was able to obtain from her. Um, it was Dr. Gail Rouse was, was, was mine. Um, so I guess I technically don't have a K through 12, but just to provide a little bit about her, um, it was just the mere fact that she was, the professor that taught me that being in the field of mental health, whether it's school counseling or community counseling, you have to be able to wear many hats. Um, if you want to be able to afford a certain lifestyle, you cannot just work as a school counselor. You cannot just work in the community counseling field. So I really appreciated her for letting me know and teaching me the ropes and showing me that okay, it's more than just, there are other ways that you can go about making a living than just becoming, just working as a school counselor or um, in the field of community mental health, like being, I guess you can say, <clears throat> versatile was extremely important for me to learn and help me out thus far. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's, it, it's interesting because I've never, really thought about that growing up abroad and having to change schools, you know, not really having that sense of community. Cause I think it is that kind of, you know, like, like Nita said that, Hey, I want my child that generational knowing teachers over and over that kind of helps grow, uh, grow, have a, I guess have a teacher grow on a kid, so yeah. to speak. And, um, not getting that, I can kind of understand that. So I appreciate you sharing that. That was, that's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you. Yeah, so let's talk about the value of great teachers. I know with everything that's going on in LA, uh, I've been trying to get kind of caught back up on, you know, caught up on what's going on there. But what do you think is the value of a great teacher? For either one. Oh, okay. Um, for me, <laughs> I know we're kind of looking like who's going to go. Um, <laughs> it's more like, having being very strong and knowledgeable knowledgeable about the subject matter and in education but ultimately it's about relationship building and so i feel like you know you can you can have all the knowledge you can have all the degrees you can you know have all of that but if you don't build those relationships with those kids it's like for nine and so the value of a great teacher for me has always been you know building those relationships with the kids, getting to know the kids, getting to know their culture, getting to know where they come from, their background. I mean, you really have to do that work um, throughout your years with the kids because 
If not, you know, they don't, they don't have a connection to what you're even talking to them about. So for me, the value of a great teacher really is that, that relationship building. And I mean, again, you can have all the knowledge, but if you don't build those relationships with those kids, it's like for not. I mean, I, I really believe that. You know, that's, I, I just told a, t a new teacher this week, uh, she's brand new, just taking over a class mid-year. And I shared, she said, what, what, what do you think the best thing for me to do? I say, have a conversations with these kids and build a relationship with them. Yeah. Once you do that, you can teach them anything. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is. If you, if they like you, mm -hmm. if they enjoy coming in your room, if they know it's a safe place, you can be teaching them how to be the best tic-tac-toe players on the planet. Right. And you're going to have some tic-tac-toe strategies mm -hmm. because of the relationship with you. So that's, uh, Mike, do you have anything to add to that? or? I, it's it's very funny because even you know school counselor teacher that relationship building is very much parallel because if you're working with a student that may be just you know displaying some type of behavioral issues as a school counselor if you don't have any if you have not developed any type of relationship with that student the likelihood of them actually sitting down talking to you about some of their innermost feelings is slim to none so it is extremely important. It doesn't just stop in the classroom. It carries over throughout someone's educational experience. So that's, you know, a good teacher that's able to do that can make or break any child's educational experience. And just as, as kind of a follow-up, Mike, I'm always interested when I talk with counselors to hear kind of the what your day-to-day -day looks like. Because I've been in schools where the counselor was more of an administrative position like scheduling and, and doing things like that but then I've been in schools where the counselor was more of what I realize as the traditional counselor of you know working with students through you know personal and academic issues so could you describe for our listeners just a little bit of, of what your day-to-day -day is like I most certainly can um for me it's arriving to school I definitely am um, a part of the, the bus duty crew first thing in the morning. Um, and I think it's a great thing because it allows me to set eyes on all of my students so I can kind of fill out who may be coming in, who may, you know, already have something that may be brewing under the surface that I kind of need to check in with. So I always mm -hmm. thought bus was a good thing. I didn't necessarily look at it like a bad thing. Plus I am, I'm posting on the inside of the school. So, you know, that's also a good thing for me as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so after that, um, typically I might do some morning rounds um, to check on different, it's not just the students, I might check on the teachers as well to see, to make sure they're okay with the students in their classroom. Maybe just the other day it was a student that was giving them some behavioral issues in the class. So I'll check in on some of the, the ones that kind of stick out to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, if I have guided lessons that I'm doing, I'll go because I actually I'm an elementary school counselor. So when I do my guided lessons, I am actually the counselor for first grade as well as fifth grade. So I have a nice little, you know, variation there. It allows me to mm -hmm. still keep the innocence of my first graders, but then kind of allow me to, you know, deal with some children who may very well be fifth grade with high school issues. Um, and that happens a lot nowadays in elementary school. Um, but I also, see students throughout the course of the day um, that may have a request to come and see me. And of course, those issues range from, it could be anything under the sun. In addition to that, I 
I'm pretty much like a, I guess you could say I'm the the, the local therapist to an extent <laughs> because I deal with all the issues that they may present. I've heard in different schools, and I'm very thankful that um, my administrative team has not leaned towards this. But I've heard in different schools where the school counselor may be on lunch duty, um, meaning that they might be serving ice cream at lunchtime. Um, the school counselor may be the person that um, is just kind of there to fill in the classroom because there's no teacher available. So they, a lot of times, are operating, I wouldn't say at capacity, because for us, capacity is problem solving, um, preventing crises in the school. I think that's extremely important to have your therapist in that position to work as a therapist or, I'm sorry, as a counselor and not as, you know, a substitute teacher or a paraprofessional. And I think in a lot of schools that does happen. And um, I would actually go on record to say if counselors were allowed to be, do more counseling things, some of the things that happen in school may not even happen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Can't can't argue with that at all. Can't argue with that at all. So, um, one one question that that I had for you, and and Wilkie and I were talking about the questions leading up. Do you feel like since you were both in the education field, you you have more empathy for the struggles that each other um, go through? You know, because there's there's teachers out there whose spouse or significant other may not or family may not be in the education field. And it can be hard for them to understand the day-to-day of what goes into that. So do you think you have um, more empathy for each other um, in terms of your professional, say, struggles because you're both educators? <laughs> do you want the long version? the short version or the long version? <laughs> I'm always a school counselor, so... I want to go first with this one. <laughs> so, so before Mike became a school counselor, you know, I'm an instructional coach now but I spent 13 years in the classroom. So before that, you know, I was, you know, a fifth grade teacher when we, you know, and we first got married. Wait, go further back, take a step further. Yeah, so even in, yeah, even when I was in Virginia. The the, the thing about teachers is we take work home. I yeah. mean, we have, <laughs> if we're, we're doing our day to day, we take work home. So when me and Mike, you know, we were, when we dated, we were dating long distance. He was in Georgia and I was in Virginia, right? So there'd be some nights where I would be doing work and I'd be like, you know, and I was also in school getting my, you know, my leadership degree. So I was like, yo, I have to, I have to do work, you know, and I have to do these, I have to get these, these grades in. I gotta do this and that and that. And I'm a real, I'm authentic and real. He did not understand that all the time. He was like, I don't understand why you can't finish this work at work. Like, why are you bringing all this work home? And I'd be like, babe, I gotta get this work in. Like, I have so many grades to do. And I, and my self-care, to be honest with you, at the time, I was not practicing self-care like I should, to be honest with you. But teachers have to take work home sometimes, and that's just the real of it. And so that uh, initially he did not understand he did not get it that some days i do have to take work home um but on the flip side when it, it comes to me when i was, and, I was in the community that's right he was in community health community, yeah community mental health mental health and so <laughs> i would be jealous of the fact that in that position he his schedule is real flexible Very. So i'd be like you know you you 
you're off work right now? Like what you're what? He's like, I just saw two big cases and I'm home and I'm doing notes and stuff. And I'm like, you're home? Like, and so me, me also like on the flip side didn't understand his job, you know, where he's doing notes because he has to he, you know, you have to log all that in. And I'm like doing work. So we we struggled with that initially. Yes, and I often heard the they're paying you for free because you don't do any work. You're always home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, definitely, it was definitely a struggle in the beginning. Um, it, well, of course, it was not a make or break type of situation. What was just more the, you know, the empathy was not there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say it became a little bit more. The empathy grew or, or started to develop. Um, when I started working for when I was working my last job before I worked for um, went to the school system was for um, United Health and I was on the behavioral health side of the insurance company so I was actually afforded the opportunity to work from home full time mm-hmm. um, so I got to see of course being here working from home I got to see a lot of the day to day up close and personal um, the coming home bringing home you know not just work but other you know issues as far as maybe there was a major administrative change maybe there were some new policies that were out so I got to see that up close and personal so it actually prepared me for my position currently because I was you know I kind of got to see a up close view of what that looks like how that can affect you um, but of course I can say it still doesn't affect me the same that it affects her because as a, as a school counselor, you really don't have too much work to bring home, um, depending upon depending upon the school that you're in and the team that you have, because um, there are, are two other counselors at my school. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I can say now the empathy is definitely there Yeah. because it's kind of one of those things. And I would dare say it kind of makes us be, it actually affords us the opportunity to be better at our respective positions mm-hmm. because I do understand and see what it looks like when the teacher is frustrated or in this case the instructional coach is frustrated because there's some things that they're trying to put in place and the teacher's not getting and sometimes the teacher's not getting it because they feel as though the student is not capable of understanding sometimes the student is not capable of understanding because the student has things going on at home mm-hmm. in which they have not shared and the school counselor has not been around, been able to get around to address that issue so it's kind of like, you know, very cyclical. So long and short of it, I feel as though we have become much more empathetic towards yeah. our respective positions. Definitely, definitely. And we definitely communicate a lot. So it's one of those things that like for my job, I don't have like a team. It's just me being an instructional coach on my own island. I'm the only one at my school. So it's challenging for me sometimes because I'm kind of like the middleman between administration and then the teachers because I'm don't, I don't have like a team of teachers. I don't have, you know what I mean? I don't have, I'm not on the administrative team. So a lot of times my frustrations, I'm like, you know, I don't have anyone to talk to. So I'll like have to, you know, I text him. I'm like, yo, I need, you have a break. I got to I got to have to talk to you for a second, you know, and, and kind of, you know, bounce things off of him. And a lot of times he's like, Lisa, you didn't think about it this way. You know, we really are honest with each other about, you know, when when we could think about it and have a different perspective on things. So that's that's really a blessing to have um, because, 
you know, he is a counseling piece and sometimes he does counsel his wife. <laughs> and so that, that part is a blessing. Mm. And it's funny that I, listening to that story just now reminded me so much of my wife and I because she's an instructional coach. Oh. And, and this is my first year back in the classroom. I, I did three years as an instructional coach. Um, and I, I, I went back, I decided to come back in the classroom. And so we kind of have those same conversations from mm -hmm. coaching perspective to, you know, from my perspective as an educator, as a former, you know, instructional coach and kind of, you know, she gives me ideas and things that she's doing. And I'm like, Hey, this works. Let's go back and forth. So that, yeah, it's just crazy. The similarities that we're experiencing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, so Nita, you, you mentioned a, a little bit at the beginning of the answer, that answer that you were really struggling with, you know, having a healthy life balance. So how have you, you guys over the course of the last few years really worked on, on creating that healthy life balance and what are some of the aspects of life that that teachers should be looking at um so yeah initially i did struggle with that you know having uh and 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 to be honest with you there are times even to say that people don't struggle with that ongoing that's an ongoing struggle you know maintaining that balance of home life versus work and school life and initially you know it was before we got married, you know, it was, I was a single mom and it was me by myself. And so it was kind of like, you know, I would do the kids and then do, do, do. But then when me and Mike started dating, you know, I had to find space on my plate <laughs> for Mike as well, you know? And so not saying that I neglected my kids or neglected, you know, my job, but it is about, you know, one thing my father-in-law has always said is doing eight and eight, you know, doing, using those eight hours of those eight hours at school effectively, you know, and so the thing is, is that, you know, when I have a break, I started looking at what I do during my break, you know, while I also want to build relationships with um, the team members that I have too, you know, I can build my relationship, chat, 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 but then I got, you know, I got to use that my time to get to work, you know, and, and do, and grade papers during, actually during my you know, planning time rather than, you know, chatting, chatting, chatting. And, mm -hmm. and then I'm taking work home. Part of that is looking at your schedule and kind of saying, okay, I actually could be doing X, Y, Z during my time instead of just deciding to chill or, you know, um, talk, you know, chat, chat, chat. A lot of that chat, chat, chatting is goss, goss, gossiping, <laughs> or, you know, right. or, you know, having venting sessions that go nowhere. Not that your venting sessions aren't valid, but they're going nowhere, you know, and a lot of times I think teachers have a lot on their plate, but they have to decide what's effectively on my plate and what's some things that I need to throw off my plate. So I think that was some reflection that I had to do um, was, you know, what are some things that I got going on that really isn't helping me in my self-care and bringing balance to my life, you know, and making space for the things that matter. And ultimately, you know, for me and Mike, home is what you know home is what matters and we have first and foremost you know if home's not straight we can't even go out and be effective teachers and effective you know counselors because our home life is out of whack so mm -hmm. you know we definitely do that and sometimes you know even now like i'll be he'll be like babe get off the phone put your phone down let's let's be present you know and so and so I'm like, okay, you're right. I'm putting the phone down and we're actually being present here because that's something that we both, you know, feel like that's the foundation. 
Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's interesting you, you say that too, because uh, there's almost sometimes you see there's that mindset of teachers that you have to go, go, go and be working and taking everything home. It's almost, it's almost like teachers want to wear it as a badge of honor, but I went through that phase and it was actually when I met Wilkie that I kind of worked myself out of it, that I got, you know, started to really work on having a healthy life balance. And, and, you know, like you said, for, for me as well. And for a lot of teachers, I think it's about not just making time, but making sure you're using the time you have in productive ways. Right. Exactly. Okay. You know, and, and, and the reality of it is, is that if you're if you're not any good for yourself, you're not going to be good for any good for anyone. Right. And our job is hard enough as it is mm-hmm. to not be able to, you know, I tell my students, you know, they're like, Mr. Law, what'd you do this weekend? I say, I didn't think about, I, th- I thought about absolutely nothing. I read a book I did and they were like, you didn't want to do it? I say, sometimes you gotta, in order to appreciate what you have, you gotta, you gotta spend time with what you have and not always be on the go, not always be, caught up in what's coming next or what's coming to what came yesterday or you know you have to like 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 you say Mike says be present yes you know and um Eckhart Tolle his book when I read that book the power of now it blew my mind because in the book he talks about how most of the time we either are living in the past or living in our future that we spend very little time focusing on the right now right Right. yes you know this experience that we're having right now what you, if you're not, if you're not kind of churning away at it to get every essence out of it, you're missing something because you're you're busy watching TV or you're you know you're doing this, you're you're, you're looking at a report, and not engaging with the experience that you have. So, I think that that is so for teachers, we have to push ourselves to that all 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 the time so that right. we can be better for our students. So, mm. totally agree. Yeah. So one of the other things we wanted to, uh, to chat with you on the podcast today about is, is how you both approach, you know, training teachers and schools in diversity. I'm, I'm really interested to hear, um, as a counselor and as an instructional coach, um, not just the importance of it, but how on the day to day you're, you're actually trying to achieve that. Well, I know for me, um, I don't necessarily do any formal training um, as far as the um, as far as diversity for any type of multicultural training. I think a lot of times it's trying to educate um, other people who may not be of the same race. Just some of the commonalities um, within one within one race. As far as I'll give an example, um, first week of school, um, there were two two boys arguing, um, two students, um, happened to be first graders. And the young man was upset because he was supposed to be the line leader. Of course, you have to think about first grade issues. That's a big thing. I'm supposed to be the line leader and someone pushed me out of the way and took my spot. So they're upset about this. They're, you know, they shoved each other. Um, one student is getting really, really upset and angry. So they called me to try to defuse the situation. I arrived, the young man looks a lot like what I could have looked like when I was in first grade. Mm. So it was one of those situations where I kind of understood and he was using some, he was using some slang terms. Um, he actually, when the little girl in the classroom actually 
made a reference and said, oh, he said something about smoking, when in actuality, what he said was, you don't want any smoke with me. Now, of course, <laughs> because I am, you know, of the culture, I understand that he was saying that he was using that, that was a, you know, slang term for, for fighting. The teacher did not realize that that's what was being talked about. She thought that maybe he was referring to drugs or smoking at home or something to that extent. So sometimes it could be something as just a brief education, helping them understand um, that what you think that it may be, it is not. So I think for me, situations such as that always bring me back to the need and the importance of diversity training um, or multicultural training with, uh, with teachers, specifically with teachers, because a lot of times we can miss opportunities with our students because we don't fully understand them and don't understand what it is that they're saying. Um, so to me, that, that's a huge piece. Um, in addition to the interactions that you have with your students. Um, I know my wife can probably share a recent example she had with someone, um, I think of the, was it of the Asian community. Yeah, and so um, I've been trained at my previous, in the previous county I was in, in diversity. Um, and it, and we talk about this all the time about we really need to have diversity training almost like the every year we have to do, do blood pathogens we should be doing diversity. Um, I think that's definitely something that me and Mike always talk about and we and we talk about that that's the need every year that needs to happen because um, and you know to be real about it not all teachers have an open mind where this is concerned and so me and Mike were talking and I was telling them I was like you know even for me. I didn't realize that I think it's in Chinese culture that you know it's disrespectful for them to look at you in your in in the eye like if a, if a, an adult is talking to you and you're like you know in American culture we're like you know look at me in my eyes I'm talking to you and you give me that respect well in in Chinese culture they look down you know because that's a form of respect and and so I did not realize that you know and so those are things for even for it I'm of color that is important to, to know, you know, when you're teaching. And so for me as a, as a coach, I try to, you know, talk, discuss those things. And a lot of times, we, you know, we discuss data and I know teachers are, when I, when I say that deep word, teachers are like, oh, oh my God, and we have to talk about it <laughs> Watch your mouth. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I'm sick of it. And so and I said, you talk on Thursday, and I'm like, I always try to bring candy and balloons because I'm like, oh, and they just hate it. But you know, when looking at the data, you know, even for you know, I you know, we discussed this at the beginning of the year. You know, African American students are having, you know, are almost half below, you know, white students, and we have this discussion, and I'm like, okay, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? We need training on diversity and how we can reach these African-American students because there's something not happening, you know? So although I know they don't like to talk about the data, the data doesn't lie. And it's not, it's showing that the numbers are significantly below. So I think part of that is some of that diversity training. I think some of that is reaching these kids, you know, and, and connecting with, with, with kids. And so, for me as a coach, I'm looking at the data and looking at, okay, this is the data is, it is what it is, the numbers are there. 
you know, and then all, and so me and Mike have discussions all the time, like, we need diversity training, because we'll have different things that happen in our schools, I'm like, that is crazy, you know, this is crazy, like, when I'm doing my bus duty, which is also inside, thank you, Lord, that I'm, the kids are coming in from the bus, right, and the boys are, like, slap boxing or whatever, now, I know that's what boys do, you know, they're, like, slap boxing, I'm like, boys, cut it out, you know, y'all know y'all are in the school, but from another teacher's perspective, it's like blowing up like they're yeah. about to fight. Yeah, they're about to fight. You know, and, and we need to take these kids to the office. And I'm like, hold up, you know, like calm it down. They're just playing around. You know, it's that's just what, you know, and so like you have to know the culture and know that they're just playing. Mm-hmm. So I think the diversity training is huge. And I don't think it the, the discussions need to stop. I think it's ongoing. And I'm like, just like I have to watch those boring blood passage and videos, we need to have people coming in you know, every year of the culture, yes. of the different cultures, African American, Asian, you know, Middle Eastern, coming in and, and explaining and to us, even for people of color, we don't, I don't know all, you know, all the things that, that are um, a part of different cultures. You know, I, I need to diversity train too. So I think that's something that we, we talk about it all the time and we, we try to infuse it into what we do every day um, to, to help um, with diversity training. But, you know, I think it, it looks at, I look at it like this. When you know better, you do better. Right. right. And I think that, you know, I give an example. When we were, we recently went to Mexico, my family and I, and I love the fact that everywhere we went from the, the driver, from the airport to the, to the hotel, even though you could tell by body language, they were pleased to see us, the, the fact that we could not communicate mm. didn't work. So the guy would kind of point at things to let us know, this is what I'm referring to. And then, you know, one guy goes, this is what this means. So that when you get in the next taxi, you know what to say, you know what it means. Right. He's in, 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 you know, giving us, ingraining us in the culture so that when we have these experiences, we bring that experience to the next experience, which grows that experience and goes to the next. But if yeah. you never ever take the time to learn about that experience, to learn about what the people say, how, when they say this word, what does it mean? The difference between people who speak, you know, Spanish from from Dominican Republic and the ones who, from Mexico. What's the difference right. in the lingo, you know, the dialects? And I think that when we start to embrace that as educate, it's crazy that in education we have to try to say you must embrace diversity, knowing that a classroom is a hodgepodge of diverse. Right. Diversity. Yes. You know, it's like, who who thinks that it's not okay? Who thinks that it's not relevant to have these discussions every year, you know, consistently and all the time? But again, like I said, I think it just goes to say how far removed we are from the reality of what education should be and should look like. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so, you know, and, and Will and I have talked about this a bunch. You know, I I am not an uncommon story. I grew up in Wisconsin, you know, very sheltered. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people from the Midwest get recruited to work in these urban areas. Mm-hmm. And I got down to Houston and I didn't know anything about the culture, especially of, and we taught in mostly Hispanic schools. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it probably took me four years to get a good grasp of those things and to not just get a good grasp of what they were saying, but to let go of my, you know, pre preconceived assumptions and and the things that I thought were the way the world worked 
And, you know, we were, I was just down there in November and we drove right by my old schools. And I just thought to myself, like, I, I wish knowing what I know now, I could right. go back and start again because it would have been a totally different experience for me and my kids. Right. right. Yeah. So. I mean, but, that's good to know, too. I mean, and, and that's why I think it's something that should happen every year, you know, because, I mean, some teachers have open minds some teachers don't. But I think it's kind of one of those things that you have to you have to kind of keep t- discussing, keep having those conversations and being open about it and being honest about it. Right. I think it's important to be honest, because the thing is, is that if, if we don't have that discussion as much and these are hard discussions to have difficult uncomfortable discussions to have but if you don't have those discussions we're never going to push forward we're always going to be stagnant and in the meantime the kids are the ones that are suffering you know kids are the ones that are suffering and then they keep throwing the data that there goes that d word they're going to keep throwing (laughs) it right in your face (laughs) there's no change so Mm -hmm. it has to happen um hopefully you know yeah sooner than later right Hmm. Hmm. All right, Will. Let's let's kick it back to you here and wrap this up so the we can let the let the Creekmores enjoy their Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, what is one thing that you believe that all students should be taught? And I could go for either one of you. One thing, or let's say both of you, because that could be different. Mm-hmm. Okay. For me, it's um, I think it's important that students be taught empathy and respect for one another. Um, I think you can, um, teachers can do that within their classrooms. Um, and then going back to diversity, I, I think being culturally responsive teacher is huge because I'll, some kids don't get that at home. And so I believe that if you kind of, if you teach that in school and you we have standards to teach, yes, but you can always bring in different cultures and different perspectives. And so I think that it's important that, that kids are taught, you know, empathy and, and respect for one another and where they come from. Mm-hmm. I definitely I definitely believe that as well. But as I look at it, I'm not going to say but. <laughs> and with that, I think they should also know that hard work truly pays off. And I said it because it seems like with each growing generation, it's the belief that there's a shortcut to success. That you can just go ahead and, you know, do something really, really quick and make a lot of money and be successful and go off and live happily ever after. Yeah. And I think a lot of students don't realize there's hard work that goes into being successful. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a quick fix. There's no instant success recipe. Um, so I think a lot of our students need to know and understand that at an early age. So that way that, you know, work ethic is developed and, you know, you're able to put together your own recipe for success. Mm-hmm. So I think that's extremely important for students to learn. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's real good. No shortcuts. I love it. Mm-hmm. Or, as, or as they say now, there are no life hacks to that. exactly all right so um what advice would you offer to a teacher who is struggling to create health a healthy life balance for uh for me i would say um definitely reflecting on your day 
um, and thinking, you know, what you have on your plate that needs to be pushed off your plate. As teachers, we had, they, I mean, I always tell the teachers at my school, you know, I'm not far removed from the classroom. I get it. You have a lot on your plate, you know, but let's look at our plates and reflect on our plates and reevaluate your plates. You know, what do you have on there that needs to be pushed off your plate? That's not effective. That's not helping you. That's not helping your kids grow. You know, sometimes as teachers, we keep doing, 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 and it's not, it's just something that we're just used to doing, but it's not effective, not effective at all. And so I said, you know, I always say, you know, push whatever it is off your plate and put the right type of things on your plate, but also knowing when to shut off. You know, teaching is kind of like having laundry. It kind of, it's like one of those things you're, it's like keeps piling up, piling up. You have to shut it off, you know, and say, okay, I, I'm just closing that laundry room for right now. I know I got to wash the clothes. They're going to be there. 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 But you have to shut it off and say, you know, this is me time. And I'm shutting it off, um, you know, pouring my glass of wine at night for people who are 21 and over. And, you know, and, and, you know, and just, just relaxing and being in the moment and just taking my hot bubble bath, whatever it is that helps you, yoga, you know, find that niche. Sometimes as teachers, we think teaching it has to be all of your life. Right. Everything about my life has to live and breathe teaching. But there's other things that you're good at. You know, find those other yeah. things that you're good at. If you like to write, write. If you like to do yoga, do yoga. You know, find those other things. I think sometimes teachers, we think we have to live and breathe it 24 hours a day. And I, I just, I don't believe that has to happen. Hmm. And I think it's important for teachers to understand that work-life balance is truly a matter can truly be a matter of life and death. Um, I do view it as being that that urgent because I know even in you know field of education, other helping professions, there are people who work their fingers to the bone almost literally, um, constantly stressed out because they're carrying work home, whether it be literal work or emotional baggage that they're carrying with them. And it really drives them to the hospital. Um, and then what happens is they have some type of medical issue that may that probably is stress induced or stress related. <clears throat> God forbid you pass away. I know this is very extreme and sounds very cold, but there will be some people that attend your funeral, and then your job posting will go up the next day after you in the ground. It is that serious because you know I guess I look at it like I was always taught. Yes, love your profession, but your profession does not always have to be the sole basis of who you are. So there, there can be a separation there. Yes, you're a teacher. Yes, you know, you're a counselor, but you don't have to be that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days, mm -hmm. 366 on leap year. It doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. So just being able to have that healthy balance is extremely important. So to piggyback on what my wife is saying, definitely take some time to evaluate your current daily routine, current work schedule, make those changes and adjustments that you can make. And sometimes it's, it's some hard decisions to make because mm -hmm. sometimes it may be a matter of, you know what, maybe I, maybe I just don't need to be the, the chairman of this committee. Maybe I need to give that up. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to stay after school 
to be part of, you know, the, the, to be a judge for the science fair. I don't have to do it all. There are some things that I can push away mm-hmm. and create more time for myself and not feel guilty about it because I think that's a huge part of it mm-hmm. because a lot of educators are, are very selfish people. So they always want to make sure they're doing the best for everybody. So I think those hard discussions and decisions have to be made. Mm-hmm. Saying no. Right. No is a good word. It's not a bad word. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, I, I tell people all the time that I think the most important word in the language is no. Mm-hmm. We have to know how to accept it. We have to know how to use it. And we have mm-hmm. to know when to use it. That's that right. is the right. most important. If you can, it, I used to train dogs, and the first thing that I would teach little puppies is not how to sit, not how to lay down or roll over. The first thing I would tell them is to respect the no. Right. Right. Respect the no. If I say no, that means no. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and I think that that that's so relevant. I love that. And and teachers, we forget that because we want to help and we want to be there. And sometimes it's it's okay to say no. Nah, I'm good. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so awesome. I, I, before we go to this last question, um, I, I want we want to thank you for for taking this time on this, you know, early morning to uh, to 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 talk with us, to chat with our audience, to share your insight. Um, again, like I say, you're now part of our legacy of what we're trying to do with the LED Project podcast, and um, I just thank you, thank you, thank you, we thank you for for being a part of this today. So. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. We're and we're gonna have to we got to continue a conversation because we may have to do one with with the two of with uh with us and my wife so that we can kind of just pick it back and share stories. Yeah. I think she would, nice. yeah. I think she'll really get a kick out of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but um but before we go, um can you kinda uh just share with us what do you want your lasting legacy to be? Um, for me, I think it's important to, to reach one, teach one. It's kind of what, you know, I think that's the way that kind of in teaching is the lasting legacy. You know, like when I first got into education, it was always somebody, another teacher, you know, teaching me and reaching me and, you know, and, and it kind of just trickles on, you know, you reach one, teach one, reach one, teach one and bring one up with you. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, as educators, sometimes we can be on our four walls and think, you know, only of what we have going on. But I think, you know, the, for a lasting legacy, reach one, teach one, teaching them about, teaching teachers about, you know, diversity, about self-care and, you know, about making sure that you're good first, you know, put your mask on first before you can help somebody else. You, know, you got to take care of you first before you can help out other people. I mean, the thing that we do on the airplanes is not you know it's intentional if you don't put your mask on first you know you can't help somebody else because you you're you're hurting yourself in doing that so i think that that would be my lasting legacy is just you know making sure people are practicing self-care but in order to do that you know you got to reach one teach one you know for me it would be <laughs> i'm a huge proponent of being able to bring who you are to your profession um i think that's huge because I know a lot of times, especially your first year, second year, you're so caught and trying and fixated on trying to be what people think the perception or the stereotype is of a teacher, of a counselor, whatever your profession is. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay, of course, as long as, you know, it's nothing offensive, 
right. <laughs> to bring who you are to your profession. Because I also think it makes you a, a better professional. Mm-hmm. That automatically creates that balance there. So if you're a person who is fun loving, you don't have to be stoic and serious all the time in the classroom or in your counseling sessions. If you're a stylish or fashionable person, it's totally okay to, you know, not have to wear the old school turtleneck and corduroy pants and penny loafers because you're a counselor. You can wear, you know, <laughs> you can wear some some off white Jordans. Yeah, he you know, didn't want to put his Jordan plug in there. <laughs> oh, hey, you know. <laughs> it's, it's okay to be a sneakerhead. You know, you can find a way to go ahead and fuse that in there. So I think it's just okay. I think it's really important for professionals to know that it's okay to bring who you are to your profession. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And and like like Will said, I just want to echo that. We we really appreciate you uh taking taking some time to uh to come on our podcast and have a conversation with us this morning. We appreciate y'all having us. We had a, it was a great talk. We had a good time. Yes, uh, and I was so surprised when I got the email. I had to read it uh, when I first got the email. Kyle, I had to keep reading. It. I was like, seriously? Of course, of course, we're good. <laughs> yeah, course you know, we're and 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 that's the crazy thing about how this podcast started. And and that's the majority of the people we've interviewed. We've we've done that exact same thing. And and Will and I were just talking about this the other day. It's it's maybe been the most fulfilling part of it. Is is like he said building a network and and building relationships and getting to the point where like you know you have a group of teachers that you know you can count on and and you know to have you know people who are are friends like you guys who when when the work-life balance gets off you could I could I I could email you Mike and be like hey Mike this is what's going on can I get some advice I'm sure you'd be happy to give it so that's and I think that's super important as teachers as well to is to have that community and, and to be able to build that Yes, exactly. All right. Well, again, much appreciated for y'all coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. We'll chat soon.